Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon from Oak Hill Church in Humboldt, Iowa. We pray that it helps you to know Christ, grow in Christ, and sow Christ wherever you are. For more information about who we are and what we're doing, go to oakhillhumble.org. Let me know if you have experienced this. You, you go to a drive-thru, order your meal, you pull up to the first window, you pay for your meal, you pull up to the second window, and they give you your drinks, and then they say, hey, could you please pull ahead into the, the two park, one of the two parking spots? We'll have the rest of your order ready in just a minute. No! You won't have it ready in just a minute. Right? You pull up into that spot. I am convinced that those two parking spots are little tears in the fabric of space and time. You pull in, right? I, I pull into that spot, and I'm a young husband and, and father of three, and I pull out of the spot an old man, and my, my son is asking to borrow the keys to take his girlfriend to the prom, right? Time just stands still in those little parking spots, and it's hard to be patient in that situation. Many of us uh, look at the fruit of the Spirit, we, we read that list in Galatians, and I think you get to patience. I'm not so good at that one. We can all recognize the lack of patience in our lives. And patience in those little moments is, is important, and, and we should prayerfully pursue patience even in the little moments, but... It's, it's patience or a lack of patience over the course of many years, over the course of, of our entire lives in the big picture. It's that patience or lack of patience that reveals our hearts, what's, what's going on inside. The way that you respond over time to your spouse in their sin and weakness, the way you respond to your children as they slowly move from immaturity to independent adulthood, the way you respond at work when it's stressful, when you feel overwhelmed and, and underpaid, the way you respond in a pandemic when you have no idea what's going on with the world and you can't figure out why other people don't see things your way, that's what reveals your heart. That's what shows what's going on inside of you. This morning we're going to look at three scenes in the life of Jesus from the beginning of Luke's gospel. And in those three scenes we're going to see Jesus' heart. We're going to see where his trust was and we're going to see him respond in patience. We're going to see patience flow out of Jesus. So we're going to look briefly at the first two scenes and then camp out for a few minutes on the third scene. So let's look at Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 52. This is scene one. This is Jesus as a young boy. Luke 2, 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. 
His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. This is the only story we have of Jesus' childhood. And this story isn't included so that we can see, hey, remember that one time that uh, Jesus' parents lost him? Right? As, as parents, you've probably experienced that moment of, oh no, I don't know where my kid is at the store or somewhere. Most of us, thankfully, haven't lost our kids for three days. Um, but that's not the main point of this story. We see two things in this, in this uh, short account. First, Jesus is 12 years old, and he is already amazing people with his wisdom and his understanding and the questions that he asks and the, and the way he answers other people's questions. So he is in Jerusalem at the temple with the religious elite, with the scribes and the teachers, right? The, the most intelligent, uh, most well-educated people in Jerusalem, the people that know more about God and his word than anybody else. And they are blown away by what he's saying and what he's doing. At age 12, Jesus is already the smartest, wisest person in the room. And... Jesus already knows who he is at age 12. So his parents find them and they say, hey, where have you been? And he says, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? The temple is the place where God dwells. And Jesus knows I'm the son of God. If, if, the, if the temple is where God dwells and I am the Son of God, then I should be in the temple in my Father's house. And so Jesus understands that he's the Son of God, that he is co-equal with God at age 12. He knows that he's God and he is smarter than everybody else in the room. He's ready to start ministry, right? Jesus is ready for a bigger platform, He's ready to start moving at age 12, but that's not what happens. It says that he goes back to Nazareth with his parents, and it says that he was submissive to them. So Jesus, at age 12, already ready, already smart enough, already uh, wise enough, already knowing who he is, goes back to Nazareth, the tiny little village, with his sinful parents who are not God, and he submits to them. And verse 52, it says, Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. 
Jesus is already head and shoulders above everyone else. He's already in a class of his own as the Son of God. And yet, he waits for the Lord, waits on the Lord's timing, and continues to grow, continues to become more wise, continues to be better regarded by others. That's scene one. Now fast forward, Luke chapter 3, to Jesus' baptism. Luke 3, 21 through 23. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice from heaven, a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. Jesus when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age. So we see there, Jesus is now 30. It's been 18 years. We know nothing about Jesus' life from age 12 to age 30. Scripture is completely silent about those 18 years. But we know that Jesus did not sin during those 18 years. We know that Jesus was without sin. And so we can say that those 18 years were marked by quiet faithfulness. Daily life matters. What we do day in and day out is important to God, and He is watching, punching the clock day after day, raising our kids, paying the bills, personal devotions, membership in a church, being a good neighbor, being faithful to your spouse. All of those things are noticed by God. All of those things matter to God. And those are the things that reveal who we are. And so for 18 years, Jesus did that daily life in obscurity in Nazareth, living as a carpenter, and he was faithful. So students, the last few months have been weird and hard and not very enjoyable. Life has been put on pause for you students. Sports and plays and jobs have just been taken away. Time with friends has been lost. Graduation and now uh, students that just went off to college. It, it hasn't looked the way that we planned. Your plans, students, may have been disrupted, but God's plan has not been disrupted these last five months. He has taken you on a different path than you would have picked and that you planned for, but it has not been wasted time. God means for you as a student to learn to depend on Him, to seek Him and find your hope in Him. God wants for you to be less worried about sports and grades and popularity and more worried about Him and His kingdom. If this season of life, students, if, if the 2020 pandemic causes you to grow deeper in your relationship with Jesus, then it is not wasted time. And now parents, one of the many things that has been hard these last few months is watching our kids kind of tread water. 
Christina and I have noticed that with our kids, but it's especially heightened for those of you who have middle school, high school students, students in, in college. As parents, we worry, will this set them back socially? Is this going to set them back with their education? Are they going to miss out on what we want them to experience as kids, as teenagers? Are masks going to ruin their lives? Am I being too lenient during this weird season? Am I being too strict? Trust Jesus. As Jesus shepherds you, you can shepherd your kids through this season of uncertainty. Pray for their hearts to be at rest in Jesus. So Jesus was faithful during those 18 years. And finally, after 30 years, his ministry begins. Jesus is 30 years old. He goes and he's baptized by John the Baptist. And we know that he wasn't baptized for the forgiveness of his sins. He's baptized to mark him out, anoint him as the Messiah. So he's baptized by John the Baptist, and when he's baptized, the heavens open up, the Holy Spirit comes down and rests on him in bodily form, where, so everyone can see that, and the Father speaks from heaven, says, this is my Son, with, who, with him I am well pleased. And so Jesus receives the Holy Spirit and he receives the stamp of approval from his Father on his ministry. This is my son. I am, I'm happy with him. He is the one. So it's an incredible moment for Jesus. This is an incredible way for Jesus to launch into his ministry. This is a great way to get momentum. There's a crowd and you can just see now Jesus can run and he can start preaching, and the crowds are going to gather, and, and the buzz is going to start swelling, and it's just going to be this incredible ministry for Jesus. He's ready for it. Which brings us to scene three. What does, Je- what does the Spirit lead Jesus to do? Now that he's been filled with the Spirit, where does the Spirit lead him? To the desert. To the wilderness for 40 days alone, fasting, being tempted by Satan. Look at chapter 4. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God... Command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. 
And when the, when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Jesus' ministry is launching, and the Spirit sends him to the wilderness. It seems like a setback. It's, it doesn't seem strategic. It's, it's almost an insult to Jesus. He's been waiting 30 years And now his first step in ministry is 40 days in the desert, fasting and being tested. I've already been here. I've already done this. I'm ready. I don't need more preparation. It's not how Jesus reacts. Jesus goes. Jesus is led by the Spirit and he goes where the Spirit leads, to the desert. And he submits to the plan of his Father. In the desert... The devil tempts him, and we see three temptations. In, in Exodus chapter 4, verse 22, we see that God refers to Israel, to the nation of Israel, as his son. Chapter 4, verse 22. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. God calls Israel his son, and where does God take Israel? To the desert. God leads Israel into the wilderness. And so these 40 days in the wilderness for Jesus is meant to parallel Israel's experience. Israel is led into the wilderness, and they're tested there, and they completely fail. They don't trust God. They don't wait on him. And now Jesus, God's son, will go into the wilderness for 40 days and he will succeed. So the first temptation, verse 3, verse 2, he hadn't eaten for 40 days. When those 40 days were up, Jesus is hungry. The devil knows that. Verse 3, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. So first, Jesus tempts Say, uh, excuse me, Satan tempts Jesus to doubt God's provision. Come on, Jesus, you've been in the wilderness for 40 days. You haven't eaten anything. You must be hungry. If you're God, you can make bread. So make yourself some bread because clearly it's time to take care of yourself. The Father's not taking care of you, so why don't you take care of yourself? When Israel was in the desert, they were tempted in a similar way. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 2 and 3. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna. So the Israelites go into the desert and they're hungry and they don't trust God. They grumble. They cry out, oh, send us back to Egypt where there's food. And yet God takes care of them. God feeds them. And so Satan tries the same temptation on Jesus. Jesus, you must be hungry. Make yourself some food. Take care of yourself. And Jesus responds, it is written. And then he takes Satan, back to Scripture. 
He, he says, Satan, you haven't read the rest of that passage. Verse 3, he humbled you, let you hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The reason we're tested is to, to display our trust in God. And so Satan, Jesus says, I don't need that bread I have been feasting for 40 days in the wilderness. For 30 years I have been nourished by the Word of God and my soul is satisfied. Through God's Word I have tasted and seen that He is good. In, in John 4, Jesus says, My food is to do the Father's will. And so that temptation doesn't hold weight for Jesus. Are you as careful about feeding your soul as you are your body? We have to have a regular diet of God's Word. We need to know and regularly be reminded of God's character and His good purposes for us so that we can endure, so that we can patiently endure the ebb and flow of life so that we can patiently endure the temptation to turn from God and trust in someone or something else. If we're not feeding ourselves with God's Word, we're going to doubt God's provision. The second temptation, Satan tempts Jesus to doubt God's plan. Verse 5, the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Satan is telling Jesus, hey, listen, Jesus, get the glory and the power and skip the cross. Jesus is the Son of God. He's been at the Father's right hand for all of eternity. He has the glory. He has had the glory and the power. And now he has left heaven and become a man. And so Satan says to him, Jesus, God's plan for you is suffering and humiliation and pain. Forget him and forget these miserable people that you've come to save. Worship me, and I'll give you the glory and the power without the pain. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. So Jesus takes him back to Scripture. Again, Deuteronomy, this time it's chapter 6, verse 13. No, Satan, I will not do it your way. I will not stray from my Father's plan for me. Yes, there will be a heavy burden. Yes, I will suffer. But there is glory on the other side that you could never give me when I will be in fellowship with the Father and my redeemed bride. I will not worship you. I will worship the Lord and him only will I serve. As I was thinking about this temptation this week, it, it, it struck me that this is the temptation of prosperity theology Skip the suffering, take the benefit. 
as followers of Christ, we are called to pick up our cross and, and follow Jesus. We're called to deny ourselves the fleeting pleasure of sin and, and comfort in this life so that we can, we're, we're tempted to deny that, to, to escape that and, and look for comfort. We're tempted to, to pay lip service to Jesus in order to secure salvation, but, but we still want to worship the American dream, right? I want just enough of Jesus that I know I'm going to go to heaven, but I still want to live well here. I still want to be comfortable and get what I want here. I don't want to do hard stuff here. I don't want to say no here, but, but I trust Jesus. I've got him in my back pocket, so I want heaven too, it just doesn't work. Jesus tells us in Mark 8, whoever loves his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospel will save it. The way to eternal happiness is not comfort here, but trusting Jesus to take us there. So Jesus avoids that temptation. He's trusting that God's plan is good for him. And then the third temptation, Satan tempts Jesus to doubt God's presence. This one's a little stranger. Uh, verse 9, he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. And for us, What's the benefit for Jesus of jumping off the temple? What's in it for him? It doesn't really make sense to us initially. Satan says, throw yourself off the temple and you know God will catch you. Because it's written in the Bible, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And they'll bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. So what's, what's the reason that Satan's tempting him there? What's the temptation? When we see Jesus' response, it sheds light on what the temptation is. Verse 12, Jesus answered him, It is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Satan is tempting him to doubt God's presence. You're out in the desert. Nothing is happening. God has forgotten about you. He's not taking care of you. He doesn't care. So it's time to get his attention. Force God's hand, Jesus. Make him show up. Uh, Christina and I have been remodeling our kitchen this summer, uh, and so it's been pretty busy and hectic around the house. Every spare moment goes to working on the kitchen, trying to get it done, and that means we haven't had as much time to engage our kids recently. There's been a little bit more TV than there normally would. So what happens when little kids feel like they're not getting enough attention? How do they respond, right? They get crazy. They act out. They make a mess. They yell. You're not paying attention to me? I'm going to do something that makes you pay attention to me, right? And that's the temptation for Jesus here. Your father's not paying attention, so do something that makes him pay attention. Act out. Get your way. 
in difficult or uncomfortable circumstances, the temptation for us is to feel like God's ignoring us. He doesn't care. So do something to make him care. Who could blame you? But Jesus says, no, Satan, I'm not alone. I haven't been ignored. The Spirit is with me. The Father is watching over me. I will not put him to the test. I will trust him and his timing. And that's, that's it for the temptation. When the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. So where Israel failed, where Israel did not trust God and wait on him, where you and I do not trust God and wait on him, where we are not patient, where we do not avoid temptation, Jesus does. Jesus successfully defends himself from Satan's attack. He wins this round. To wrap this up, why was Jesus patient? Jesus was patient because he was completely convinced that God was in control and that God was good. Jesus didn't impatiently grab control of the situation. The fruit of patience in our life is only going to grow in a heart that believes that God is in control and that God is good. If God is in control, but he's not good, or he's not for me, that's not good news. I need to protect myself. I need to take matters into my own hands because God's in control and that's scary because he doesn't love me. And on the flip side, if, if God is good, but he's not in control, that's not good news either. Sure, God's a nice guy. Sure, God wants, to, wants me to be happy, but he can't do it. He's not powerful enough to make me happy. And so I need to be in control. I need to make myself happy. But if God is in control and if we can know that God is good and that God's on our side, that's where patience can come. I don't have to get my own way because I trust that God is getting his way and that it's going to be for my good. I can trust him. Which means... We need to know, is God in control? Yes. Is God good? Is God for me? Through Jesus, God is for you. The Father sent his Son to fulfill all of the commands that you and I did not fulfill, including the command to be patient and to trust God. Jesus perfectly fulfilled all of those commands for us. And the Father sent his Son to give his life as a redeeming sacrifice for our sinful desire to be in control. And so through Jesus, we have been forgiven for our impatience. Forgiven for our lack of trust. Forgiven for our attempt to get into the driver's seat. Through Jesus, God is for us. 
And so we have reason to be patient. Let's pray. Father, your son was perfectly patient. He waited. He trusted your plan. He trusted your presence. He trusted your provision. He always did your will. And we have not. We try to take things into our own hands. We try, to, we try to push people to be where we want them to be. We don't follow your plan because we think we have a better one. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to look to Jesus, to see that in Christ you are for us, that we can trust you and walk with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.